139. We're going to look at um, verses 7 through 12, but actually I want to jump up and we'll, we'll start in verse 1. I can hardly go to Psalms 139 without reading the whole thing. And I want to talk to you today about even there, even there, and about God's omnipresence, that God is all places at all times. And that is a wonderful thing. It might be a frightening thing for some folks because they might be some places where they ought not to be. And they need to know that even there, God sees them, right? But it's an encouragement to most of us because we go through some tough times in life, some difficulties, some trials, some scary places. And it's good to know that even there, God's with us. And so I want to talk to you about even there. The psalmist starts in verse 1. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, or excuse me. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. That's kind of scary there, isn't there? Isn't there times when we bite our tongue? I mean, the thoughts are there, and we say, but I bit my tongue. But what he's telling us there is, God already knew what you were going to say. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he begins to transition into this idea of his omnipresence here. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, there you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. God is everywhere. I mean, he talks about into the heavens. He says, God, if I could go into the heavens as far as I could, you are there. I think about what we have discovered in our generation and in our age about the heavens, about space. Um, it was a big deal when we landed a man on the moon, and now they're talking about trying to put a man on Mars. Can you imagine that? But as far away as from this earth as we could get, whatever distance it is, he says, God, if I could travel that far, you're there. I was reading about the, uh, the Great Trench just off the coast of the Philippine Islands there, the Marinetta Trench, and it's the deepest place on the earth, or on the ocean. It uh, is actually like 6.85 miles deep. That's deep. And the psalmist says that even if I could go to the deepest parts of the sea, the uttermost parts of the sea, God, you'd still be there. Even there, God, you would be. And he says in verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. There is nowhere that we can go to escape God's presence. I mean, we could travel as far as we want and, and as high as we want and get in the darkest rooms that we want. God is there. We will never escape his presence. He is omnipresent. And again, that might be frightening for some, but for most of us, that is comfort. That is encouragement that we are never far from God, that he is never far from us. And so I want to give you this morning five, five places that God goes with us, that we need to know that he is there with us. And the first one is this, God is there in every season of life. And aren't you glad for that? The psalmist David said this in Psalms 37. He says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. God establishes our path when we delight in him. He, he leads us. He says, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand 
And then in verse 25, a very familiar passage, he says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever for the Lord loves justice. And then he says, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. And the key phrase in there, again, that God's there in every season of life, the psalmist says, I have been young and now I'm old. How many of us can relate to that this morning? And some of us are so old now, we can't even remember being young. Um, we, We were at a birthday party last night and someone celebrated a 50th birthday party. And I'm thinking, man, that person is old, you know, and I'm just glad that I'm still young. But uh, but we get old and we can't. But God has been with us all along the way. He's with us as children, isn't he? When these kids walk out of here this morning and head off to the junior church and take a face plant in front of the altar, amen, that doesn't mean God's presence isn't with them. God is with them. And he's with them while they're out there. He's with them in the car on the way to, on the way home today. He's with them at school. That's probably one of the scariest times for us as parents is when we send our kids off to school finally. I know moms are probably glad they're heading off, but us dads are protective, you know, and, and, and we're just fearful of that. We grew, we raised our kids in the Bay Area, and man, I'll tell you what, that was during all the uh, abductions, and, and it's still bad, but that was when they really were in the news a lot. And I was always fearful for my kids. The front yard became a useless piece of land for us. It was the backyard or it was nothing because we're so fearful. But we as Christians need to understand that God is there for our children, that he is with them. His presence is there. And and while they're at school, he's with them there, even though we as parents aren't. While they're out driving, do you remember when your kids got their driver's license and, and the first time you saw them pull out of the driveway in your car? And we weren't sure if we were more worried about them or we were worried about our car, amen? I remember thinking, I've got to get the biggest battleship of a car that I could find to protect my children. And so we researched and ended up buying, listen, that big old Volvo station wagon. They said they're built like tanks. And uh, I remember a friend of mine said, why did not you just get her a Datsun or a Nissan to get get better gas? I said, man, those are small. They'll get hurt in those. And he said, you got to trust God. He's with them. And it's really the truth, isn't it? That God is with them. I remember the first time a boy wanted to date my daughter. And I said, oh man, get my shotgun, Kathy. We're going to have a talk. And, uh, and, you know, the reality is God is with them when they went out on that first date. His presence was there. When they went to high school and maybe were taught things that we didn't necessarily agree with or were exposed to morals and standards that we didn't like, but God's presence was there in that stage of their life. Remember some of the crazy things we did as teenagers? I, being here now, uh, back in the valley, this is where, of course, I grew up. And, uh, man, there's times when I'll pass somewhere and remember something really stupid I did at that particular place. I'm just reminded, God, you are so good. You saved my life there. I could have died, but you were with me. And we all have those things, don't we? But God is with us in every stage of our life. When we head off to college or we go out into the career, God is there with us. You may work somewhere that you're miserable at, but as miserable as you may be there, God is even there, isn't he? And maybe we find ourselves in places that we don't want to be sometimes. Maybe we find ourselves making doctor visits. And, you know, God is there with us when we do that too, isn't he? I was talking to someone the other day, actually, in our Wednesday morning Bible study, and they were talking about how busy they are, even though they're retired. And they said, we just went from punching a time clock to turning in prescriptions and going to doctor's offices. It's a different season of life, but God is there for us in every season of life. 
He said, God, I was young and now I'm old. And he says, but I have always known this, that you have never forsaken your children. You've been with them all along. I've never seen them begging for bread. I've never seen them without your presence in their life. He says, you've been with me in every season of life. That is assuring, isn't it? That is is a wonderful thought to know. And for us that are here today, if God has been with us this far, why would we doubt that he'd be with us the rest of the way? That he's going to be with us whatever tomorrow holds. So the first thing is this, is that God is there in every season of life. He will not leave us. The second thing about God's presence is this. God is there when I travel the darkest roads of life. He's there when I travel the darkest roads. You ever been on a long, lonely, deserted road? It can be kind of frightening at times. I remember when we got married, we were married in Sacramento and headed off on a honeymoon trip to Monterey. And it was a long day and we got married in the evening and we headed out and Kathy fell asleep in the car. And I'm driving towards Monterey. I've never been to Monterey. I've never been over there. And I'm driving and I got lost. And man, I I don't think I've ever seen such a dark road in my life. There was not a light. You have those times, you know, when you don't even see cars. There was no headlights coming, none going, nothing. And I really wondered if we had entered the twilight zone or something. Kathy woke up and she says, are you lost? I said, no, we're not lost, babe. Go back to sleep. (laughs) But you know, life can take us in places like that too, can it? Those places when it seems like there's no one else there. We haven't seen a headlight for a long time. We haven't seen a taillight. We haven't seen anybody else. It feels like we're all alone at that place in our life. And it can be the darkest place. No hope. It can be the place where it seems like we'll never see the light again and we'll never reach our destination. It can be the place in life where we finally come to realize that we're just a little bit scared because we're not quite sure where we are and how we're going to get where we're going. But God is there when I travel the darkest roads. The 23rd Psalm is a a wonderful passage, and one verse in particular stands out to me, but he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then he says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, he says, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You catch what he says there? He says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If we're not careful, we tend to use this verse of Scripture only at funerals, don't we? That that is mainly where we hear it nowadays. But this is not just a passage for funerals. This is a passage for every one of us. He is reassuring us that even when we travel the darkest roads, God is there. And by the way, a very important word in that phrase is the shadow of death. He doesn't just lead us to death, but He's with us even when we're faced with the shadow of death. That's just the possibility of death. That's the time when life is perilous, when it's dangerous, When it doesn't seem like we will survive whatever it is we're going through, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but it's even in those shadows or those dark places in life, he says, God, you're there with me. 
It's those times when we're waiting for a report from the doctor and, and we're not quite sure what he's going to come up with and, and maybe we will or maybe we won't have cancer. But it's just the shadow of that. It's the thought of that. It's the possibility that things could get really ugly. But God is there with us even in those dark moments. He's there with us in the moments when we don't know maybe if we're going to have a job to go to the next week. He's there with us in the moments when we're not quite sure how we're going to feed our family or clothe our children. He's there with us in the moments when we're not sure how our relationships are going to be mended or put back together. Those dark moments in life. And we've all traveled them, haven't we? And if you haven't, just keep driving. Sooner or later, you're going to travel a dark road. In Sunday school, we talked this morning about suffering and why do we as Christians think that we are immune to suffering, that when we follow Christ, there's nowhere a promise that we will never face a dark road in life. There's only a promise that He will be there with us while we travel that road. God is there even when we travel the darkest roads. God's goodness, He says, and His mercy, He says, they pursue me, they chase me. They follow after me. That's how much God wants to be there for us. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's almost like as we travel that road, there's no way that we can escape God's presence. He is hot on our tails. He is pursuing us. He is chasing us with his goodness and his mercy until he says we reach our ultimate joy in life. And that is when we will be with him for eternity, it says. So throughout this life, whether you're traveling the the good roads, the, the nice roads, the smooth roads in life, or you're on the bumpy roads, or you're on the darkest of roads, God is there. The third place that God is that we need to know is God is there when I'm isolated from everyone. You ever feel lonely? It's kind of hard to believe when we live on a planet with this many people, amen? It's hard to believe when we live in cities where literally we could reach out the window and touch the neighbor's house sometimes. It's hard to believe that you could live in a home, in a marriage, in a relationship, and still feel isolated and lonely. But God is there even when we're isolated from everyone. Psalm 16, the psalmist says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I love that. Don't let anything shake you up, amen? As long as God is at your right side, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to survive. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you, he says, will not abandon my soul in Sheol. You will not leave my soul alone or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, he says, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is with us even when we feel isolated from everyone else. And that isolation can come from many different things, can it? Isolation might come from being abandoned. Maybe you are abandoned. Maybe, maybe you grew up without a, a mom or a dad and, and you felt that. We had an older gentleman. Actually, he was in his 80s, late 80s. And I remember talking to him at times and he had been a, a bachelor his whole life. And we talked and I said, how come you never got married? And, and, and for a, you know, a young guy married, I didn't understand that. And as I began to talk to him, I found out that he had been abandoned by his mother. And he had never gotten over that. That abandonment can leave us isolated. Or maybe you've been left by someone that you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with. And all of a sudden, they're gone and you feel isolated. 
You feel alone. But God is there. He will never leave you or forsake you, the Scripture says. Others may. He won't. When you go home and you are the only one there because your friends and your loved ones have passed on and you remain, God is still there with you. You're not alone. And isolation can occur, and I've been reading a lot about this and studying it lately, but isolation can occur by our becoming ill. By our becoming ill. I think one of the greatest tragedies in our time, one of the most terrifying illnesses of all, is dementia or Alzheimer's disease that leads to the dementia. You ever thought about that? And we see these people and they suffer from this. And some of them are at the Westgate Gardens uh, home when we go sing. It's amazing that even though they may not know who they are or where they are or know who their children are, it always warms my soul that when we begin to sing some of those gospel songs, all of a sudden they begin to sing right along like they've never forgotten them. You know why? Because even though they're isolated from everyone, God is there. He's ministering to their soul. He's ministering to their hearts. I read an article this past week that just warmed my heart. and It was talking about the existence of the soul and, and Alzheimer's. And he used a term that the doctors use called terminal lucidity. And in that, what it is, is that they talk about Alzheimer's patients reach a point where they don't know anyone. And they, they don't recognize people. They don't even know who they are. They may not talk. Their personality is even gone. They are just there. But doctors and caretakers have noticed that there is a period of time, many times, oftentimes, right before they pass to eternity, that they come back. That all of a sudden their eyes open and they recognize people around them. That they laugh and their personality returns. And it is just a good reminder to us that we are never alone, that God is always with us. And while they may seem isolated to us, God is there with them. And I think that even those, if we could hear them singing in the depths of their soul, they would be singing something like, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God is always there, even when we're isolated from everyone. And God is there when I face overwhelming challenges. You ever face those? Those difficulties that it just didn't feel like you would be able to survive. We sometimes go through things that in our soul, we just don't understand how am I going to get through this? We may even verbalize that and say, I I, I don't think I can do it. I'll not make it. God is there even when we face overwhelming challenges. Isaiah's passage of Scripture 43 says this, But now thus says the Lord... He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And that's an assuring few verses there. Because the previous chapter, God has revealed the judgment that He has brought on the nation of Israel. He's talked about allowing other nations to haul them off into captivity to punish them for their rebellion. He's talked about the judgment that they have received because they've turned their backs on God. And yet in the midst of that judgment, God comes back to him and he says, but don't be afraid because I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And there are times when maybe it feels like God has forsaken us, but he has never forsaken us. 
There may be times when things aren't going well in our lives, but it's not because God doesn't love us. It's not because He doesn't care that even when we go through the struggle, I think His words to us would be, Fear not. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You belong to me. Isaiah goes on and he says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And you catch what he says there? He says, when you're walking through the waters, I'm going to be there with you. Even, he says, when you walk through the rivers, they will not overcome you. They're not going to flood you. They're not going to wash you away. He says, I'm going to be there with you through that. We use phrases, don't we, like, I think I'm in over my head. I'm drowning. Someone throw me a a lifeline. We know what the writer is saying, don't we? There's been times when we've gone through deep water. But God says, even in the deepest of waters, I'm there with you. You're going to survive. And then he talks about the fire. He says, even when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. We, we talk about trials as being tested by fire, don't we? We know what he's saying. These are the toughest challenges that we'll ever face in life. And we will either sink or we'll be consumed, we fear. But God says, I'll be with you, even through life's most challenging obstacles. I'll be there. He says, because I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, I'm your Savior. He says, I give Egypt to you as ransom, Cush and Siva in exchange for you, because you are precious, he says, in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you. And then he says, fear not, for I am with you. God is with us. I can't help but read that passage about the waters and about the fire and be reminded in Scripture of a couple instances. One, we think of the children of Israel and they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. You imagine how they felt that day as they had escaped Egypt and everything seemed well until they saw the armies of Pharaoh pursuing them. And they move as fast as they can, I'm sure, but they come to the edge of a body of water and they're trapped. And at that moment, I'm sure they thought, we're goners. We're dead. We're going to die right here in the desert. But God said, I was with them. And God reached down and he divided the waters. And they crossed that sea on dry land. If God would do that for them, will he not see us through the waters? Then he said, you know, I'll be with you when you go through the fire. And I can't help but think of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king made this great decree in the land that the statue had been erected. And he said, when, I, when you play music, he says, all the people will bow before the statue. King was on an ego trip. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. And it was brought to the king's attention. And so he calls them before them. And he says, listen, everyone is supposed to bow before me. He said, so we're going to play the music again. And when we do, and they interrupted him and said, you don't even need to ask us because we'll tell you now, we're not going to bow. We serve God. They went ahead and played the music and they stood tall. They would not bow to a graven image. And so God, the the king there, had them cast into a fiery furnace. 
when we go through the fire, God's there with us. And the amazing thing was, as soon as they'd been cast into the furnace, the king looks in and he says, didn't we just throw three men into that fire? I said, yeah. He says, well, then how come I see four? And the fourth is as the image of the Son of God. Why? Because he's even there in the fire. And whatever you're going through in life right now, I can assure you this, God is with you. He is even there. The next thing is God is there when I'm unaware of his presence. When I'm unaware of his presence. You know, many times God is right here with us and we don't even realize it. We sometimes may even ask him later on in our prayers and we'll say, God, this is what happened today. Like he didn't know already. But we say, God, this happened to me today. And God, where were you? I imagine God's in heaven saying, I was right there. Say, God, my children got in trouble. God, I lost my job. God, I lost my loved one. We said, God, where were you when these things happened to me? And God looks down and he says, I, I was there. I was right there. You just weren't aware of it. God is there when I'm unaware of his presence. In Genesis chapter 28, and we'll finish in this passage of Scripture, the Bible says this, and it's speaking of Jacob, and he shares his vision. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Man, we complain about old wooden church pews. This guy slept with a stone as a pillow there. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread uh, abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He is giving him the same promise that he gave his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. God says, I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac, and now I'm coming to you, and I'm going to reaffirm the promise that I made them, that through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. You know, God has promised us some things, hasn't he? God has promised to save our souls. He's promised to forgive our sins. He's promised to take us to heaven. And aren't you glad we serve a God that keeps his promises? A God that says, I will not leave you until I have kept or done what I promised to do with you. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I am confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because we serve a God that is always there. And it goes on in 17 and it says, and he was afraid, or excuse me, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. So he's had this vision and he wakes from his sleep. And listen to what he says. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And that sounds silly, but we can relate to that, can't we? 
Because if we look back in our life, there are times when, when we were saying, where was God when this happened? And now as we mature and get a little older from a distance, we say, he was there all along. I didn't understand what was happening then, but now I see very clearly that God was there. We say, I I don't know why I lost that job, or I don't know why I moved to this place, or I don't know why I ended up working here or going there. I don't understand why I've taken all the turns in life I have. But looking back, I know without a shadow of a doubt, God was there. And you know what? He's here today. One of the things that we often pray, and I do this, is, God, we want to feel your presence here today. You know what? The Lord is in this place, whether we realize it or not. Even when we're unaware of his presence, he is here. And he said, and he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He says, this is where God spoke to me. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He had just seen a a vision of a ladder reaching into heaven with angels going up and down, and the Lord speaking to him. He says, man, this is the gate to heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel or the house of God. But the name of that city was Luz at the first. So God is there even when we don't realize it. Even when we're unaware, he is there. He takes the stone that he had just slept on and he pours oil over it and it becomes more than just a pillow then. It becomes an altar. It becomes a place of worship for him because that is where he had met God. And so we understand that he is with us. But I want you to look at the next couple verses in that passage. And we see here Jacob's vow that he makes to God. Because God was there in that place, because he made his presence known to Jacob, Jacob responds. And I think that's what we need to do. When God makes his presence known in our lives, We need to respond to Him. When He is with us, we need to praise Him and worship Him and honor Him for that. And so Jacob makes this amazing vow. Look in verse 20. He says, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in His way, in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, he says, I will give a full tenth to you. So because of this God that he is serving, that has made his presence known, he responds and he makes a vow to God. Some have said that the passage would probably more accurately read, instead of, if God be with me, since God has been with me. And that would make sense. But Jacob's response would be not lessened at all. Since God is with me, I'll serve him. Since God has been there for me, I'll honor him. But you could also read the passage as if God will be with me, that this was a vow, that this was a covenant between the two. And that covenant was a mutual agreement that one offered one thing and the other offered another. And in that passage, there are four things that Jacob asked for. He asked for God's presence. He said, God, if you'll be with me, He asked that God would keep him safe on his journey the rest of the way to Haran. He says, he said, keep me safe. And then he asked that God would supply his needs. Give me bread and give me food and clothing that I need. And then he asked God for safe return to his father's home after his journey was complete. 
Those things sound strikingly familiar with what we ask God for, don't they? Don't we want God's presence? Don't we want God to keep us safe on this journey? Don't we want God to supply our needs, to feed us, to clothe us, and to provide for us? And ultimately, don't we want God to give us a safe return home to see Jesus? That's the God that we serve. And in response to this, Jacob offers a vow to God. Jacob declares that God would be his God. He promises to worship the Lord and to give the Lord a tenth of all that he had, which is interesting because many say tithing is a practice of the law, but this is well before the law. And yet he gives a tenth of all that he had. It was a sign of worship. The passage, though, is even deeper than maybe we see at the beginning. It's a powerful passage. And it's an important passage for us. Because every one of us needs to come to a place where God is our God. He said, God, if you'll do this for me, you will be my God. I want you to notice a couple passages of Scripture. The first one is in Genesis 28, 13, when God first speaks to Jacob in this vision. And notice who God says that he is. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. God said, I'm Abraham's father. And I'm Isaac's father. But he didn't say, I'm your father. Jacob didn't know God as his father up until this passage of Scripture. Look back in Genesis 27, in verse 18. Jacob is going into his father's tent. We know the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright. And Jacob goes into his father's tent. Remember, he put hair on his arms and he rubs some smell on him so he'd smell like his brother. And and he goes in and his father's blind and can't see. And there's a little bit of question there, but he, he fools his father and he gets the birthright. In verse, chapter 27, verse 18, it says, So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Isn't it amazing how God could take Jacob, who was a deceiver and a liar and a trickster, and still make something great of him eventually? And he, we're reading right here where he lied straight to his father. He said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, listen to this, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He says, I sent you to find find an animal. I sent you to, to get the hunt on. I sent you to make me some stew. How did you do that so quickly, Jacob, or Esau? And he answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. The Lord, your God, granted me success. But my, how things change, don't they? He said, the Lord, your God. But now, after Jacob's dream, after his personal encounter with God, he is ready to make his own vow to God, his own commitment to God. And look what he says. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will give and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then he says, the Lord 
shall be my God. My God. That is so important because just because your grandma and grandpa are Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Just because he was the God of your great-grandpa and your great and your grandpa and your father doesn't automatically make him your God. Every one of us has to come to this place in life where we make our own commitment to God, where he becomes our God. And that's what took place here. In Exodus chapter 3, we find God speaking to Moses. Remember the account as he spoke to him from the, the fiery bush. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And listen to what God tells Moses. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And now he says, the God of Jacob. God's presence in Jacob's life led him to make a commitment to God. And he became Jacob's God that day. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And all the way into the New Testament, that phrase is repeated. In Matthew, in fact, Jesus is speaking to some of the Pharisees, and he's talking to them about the resurrection, the fact that he will rise from the dead, that he will not remain in the grave, the fact that God will raise us all up one day. And he speaks to them, and they're quoting Scripture, and he looks to them, he says, you have not even looked at what you read. Read it again, he says. And the reading that Jesus gave was, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And they were missing the fact that he just wasn't the God of them. He still was the God of them. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob isn't a God of our past. He is our God right here, right now, today. He is eternal. He is all existing. He is present with us. So I want you to know this morning that God will be with you wherever you go. In every season of your life, when you travel the darkest roads, when you're isolated from everyone, when you face overwhelming challenges, He's there. And when you're unaware of His presence, He's there. But more than anything this morning, I want to know this. Are you ready to make God your God? He's a great God. He is with us through it all. But is He your God? It's one thing to sit back and admire and say, man, God is good. God is wonderful. It's another thing to say, my God is good. It's one thing that when you're sick, you call on the church and you say, would you guys pray for me? It's another thing to say, oh God, be with me. I want your presence with me to have that personal relationship with God. This morning, is he your God? Let's stand. Here.